Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're very welcome to another episode of the Scaling Your Business podcast, episode 181. We've got two lads from the UK, Jack Frimson and Zach Thompson, the directors of We Have a Meeting Limited. You're very welcome, lads. Good to be here. I'm delighted to have you. Typical fashion of the show, guys, is we start off kind of getting to understand who our guests are. We rewind a couple of questions earlier and then we get into the, the, the good parts. So, Zach, where'd you grow up? Blackpool. I okay. grew up in uh, yeah in Blackpool, northwest England, from a very working class family. Uh, what was life was like a, growing up? It was good. Yeah, I had the right mix of we were quite poor for probably the first ten years, so a nice mix of you know there's some humble roots. And my mum and my stepdad worked really hard. Holding, mum was a midwife. My stepdad is a taxi driver, but he used to do some odd jobs as well to get a bit of money. Gradually lived in a nicer and nicer area. So just saw kind of what hard work and obviously getting in trouble too much in Blackpool can look like, which was uh, nice to see both ends of the ends of the stick. Are you, are you a sports fan? I like boxing and MMA, but I'm not a football fan. Who's your favorite fighter on the UFC roster? I like Justin Gaethje, even though he lost on the weekend, but I like that kind of raw... Um, you know, I'm cheering to watch kind of yeah. gladiator sport. I like that kind of feeling of that bloke's an absolute nutcase, you know. He's a, he, once I get to round three or four, that dude like uh, loves violence so much. It's it's actually scary. You you wouldn't want to make it to round three with Justin Gaethje. No. I'm, I'm sure Charles, Charles Oliveira is delighted he got him out in the first round. Yeah, I agree um, with you. Jack, where'd yeah. you grow up? I grew up in um, London, um, the east end of London borderline with Essex and when I was seven years old I moved to sunny St Anne's which is about 10 minutes down the road from Blackpool so you can probably see where the uh, I don't know if that's on your list of questions how does Zach and Jack come together um but yeah I grew up um so I spent a lot of my time growing up by the seaside and um yeah was it some sport event that brought you together training jiu-jitsu was it college what was it <laughs> something like that me and um me and Zach got to know each other. I think we had a lot of mutual friends, but we were in the um, the opposite band. So Zach was in one time. We were never in classes. And then I had a, a group of friends from like, what, 12 till 14, 15. They're all sporty. And I used to stand on the field with them. And I used to watch them play football because I was never a sporty kid. I was more into, I could tell you my favorite musical theater show more than uh, anything about a football team. And then me and Zach were thrown into drama clubs together. And I think that was around the, the age we started drinking and we were like, whoa, this guy's quite funny. And he likes drama <laughs> and drinking. Do you want to be mates? Awesome. And then you've obviously got into business together, which is pretty cool. I've I've not seen many mates go into business. Together. I went into business with my mate from uh, London, Oxford, actually, for three, four years as well. And uh, always enjoyable when you're with your mates. I found it difficult, though, to switch off between work and non-work. And the, like the transition between work and non-work was usually after like beer number four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we found the same thing. We, we, I went up to Man- the Manchester office a couple of weeks ago and uh, there was a lot of drinking and talking about the future. And then, as you say, when you roll into that fourth or fifth pint, it starts talking about probably ridiculous things that are never going to happen. And 
where we're going to be when we make our millions. So yeah, yeah, I know exactly exactly what you mean. Well, I want to dig a little more into this, but I know that you went to uni. What did you study at uni? Because you're now into this sales world, and I can't imagine you studied sales at uni because I don't know many too many <laughs> courses that teach sales. No, Jack, do you want to go? Yeah, so I did, I did a degree in musical theatre and drama, which I'm put into the finest use when I burst into song on a discovery call. Um, but I, I never, I, I did musical theatre and drama. And then I, when I graduated, graduated with a first, which was all right. It's not worth the paper it's written on, but it was one of those that having that at the, at the end of the three years, I never did musical theatre or drama again. And that was kind of the end of that chapter. But I've always, always been a big lover of music and kind of I tried to pursue that for a while, did some great things, but I've always worked in sales alongside it because it's a great way to obviously survive and make money. I couldn't agree more. Zach? I did a music degree. So there's some a lot of similarities here between yeah. me and Jack that you'll find along the way. So I, I thought I was going to be a rock star from about the age of 13 and followed it all the way through to London College of Music, graduated with a degree, and no one told me there's no linear path in education with music. So naturally you fall into the first thing that's hiring and what's hiring sales. So probably the story as old as time of why does anyone end up in sales? I fell into it. And then it was around the time that the Wolf of Wall Street had come out. So it was quite a nuts. It was quite a nuts environment to work in, to be honest with you. Two of the people I used to work for are dead from like the lifestyle um and it was quite yeah it was just quite a mad place to start working to be honest it was like that sort of culture they were trying to replicate and there was no real sales training as such and it was very throw you in the deep end like we were selling to architects and i think the first day the guy was too hung over the director to go to the meeting so he sent me i didn't know anything really about the product at all and just rocked up to the meeting in my mismatched Primark suit and just tried my best to sort of blag my way through the meeting. Um, but then from that moment, I thought, actually, I better try and get pretty good at this if I'm going to yeah. stay in it for a while. And obviously, you just invest some time in. Um, and then that, that kind of started the process of self-teaching, which is often how I would define my uh, teaching in sales. I've, I've taught myself most of the stuff. But you mentioned sales training a couple of times there. So... I'll, I'll be direct with this question. Is it a waste of time or is it worth the investment? It's a good, that is a good question. I think I subscribe to the idea that if you taught a room of a hundred people, only two people would probably actually apply the things that you've taught. And I think what happens is you have a lot of ego in sales, don't you? So you might hear something and then your own ego gets involved and you run away with, oh, I sort of like that, but I'll make it better. I'll make it my own. Um, so I don't think it's a waste of time at all if people are willing to apply it and if people are willing to admit that they've got flaws as well that's the other part of it you have to be able to yeah. come forward and say actually I'm a bit crap when it comes to the discovery mm. call or my open is not very good or I'll let people get away with objections you, know, you have to be honest with the bits that, that are going to be um, struggling you're going to be struggling with you know what are your thoughts Jack? No, totally agree and I, I, I've done sales training for, for different workplaces and I feel like you've got to kind of remove that ego and remove that. I think, I think I probably had it in, in places when I was 22, 23 as well, when they brought in sales trainers and I thought, actually, I know better than this. And you kind of just dismiss it because you feel like you, you know it all. So it's just kind of being open and kind of, yeah, I guess being open to what, what 
another opinion. It's when we do sales training, it's not this is the methodology you have to use it. This is saying yeah. this is what I use. This is what I know works. Use it if you want. Don't use it. It's the, it's the same approach that we take with sales. It's no pressure. It's just it's there if you want it. There's many trainers out there that don't do themselves any favors because they haven't sold something in a decade or two as well. Mm. And that doesn't come across well. And you can, you can sniff that out pretty fast. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw it into the mix. For me, reinforcement is 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 absolutely huge when it comes to, to training. If you're going to do it once off, I, I can't think of something that I've done once and and, and become good at. Like I'm currently uh, getting golf lessons. And if I just took one golf lesson and went to the golf course, I think I'd be shit. Whereas I go every single week and I, I'm still shit, but I'm getting better. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There's a couple of questions I want to ask you guys, but before I do that, um, your business, uh, we have a meeting. You'll do a much better job of doing a 30 second commercial to lay up the answers to the next question. So I don't know who wants to take it, but 30 second commercial, I'll hand it over to you. Go on, Zach. It's your brainchild. Okay. So we have a meeting. It's an outsourced sales agency effectively. So typically we're being invited in by businesses that, can't get in front of the right types of people. Yep. They can't get in front of enough of the right types of people, or perhaps there's industries and sectors that they've always wanted to work in and they just can't seem to kick the door down. So effectively we're that first port of call to secure you that meeting, hence the name. Um, so we're brought in by businesses that don't want to do it, don't have the resource to do it, have tried it and it hasn't worked. We're that next port of call to, we need to bring the, uh, the, the, the nuclear option in now. So you're obviously a fan of the phone then, if you're in that realm. I had a question around the fan of the phone. You said, I believe it was you, Jack, recently on LinkedIn. You said, the phone is your friend. Human connection is literally key. There's been a number of leaders I've spoken to, and now that we go back in-house training, I've been fortunate to be into. And one of the things they say is that when they put their head out their door, their office, they hear more keyboards clacking than they hear people having conversations on the phone. Why do you think people are reluctant to pick up the phone fear it's easier it's probably their own bias that we're living in a 2022 where everyone's where are people spending their time they're always but where are they they're always on their phone do you know what i mean so why wouldn't you call somebody's phone it's like it's just so impersonal and i and i i'm not saying there isn't time for email time for linkedin i think there's there's always the right chance for those. And there's a lot of people that I can't get through to on the phone, but I'll, I'll, I'll find myself typing an email and I'll be like, what am I doing? Why don't I just ring this person? Like, because it's always, everything can be misconstrued because what is it that there's like a 80, 10, five or whatever rule, but it's tonality is so much of that. So if you don't have that on an email or a LinkedIn message, yeah, you can send a meme, but you, so you're getting a meeting by sending something funny. Okay. So what's the value there? You made me laugh. Cool. I might like you. I might want to go and have seven pints with you, but what, what, why would I buy your product? It's all about the pain and the problem. And what's the best way to do that? What's the, the quickest way? I think Zach started the business from his bedroom and he sat there with the equivalent of the yellow pages. And it's the quickest way. If, if he had an investment of a hundred grand, I'm sure he would have got a fancy website and he might've put it into a marketing budget and a big Facebook ad. But when you're starting a business, what is the quickest way to say, I can generate a customer? And I think, what what phone call was it? And someone went, yeah, I want to work with you. Let's do it. So where do you think the problem lies then? There was a stat I saw recently that said SDRs, the typical tenure of an SDR is 15 months and an account executive is 18 months. And the majority of them, or let's say 50% of them, but somewhere around that mark, don't hit their quarterly quota. 
that they've been given. So who does the problem lie with? Is it their leader or manager that's not putting the things in place to give them the skills necessary to be on the phone? Or is it the sales rep themselves is just too terrified to pick up the phone call? I think it's, uh, I think it's twofold. So I would say from stuff that I've read about, an individual's relationship with rejection and validation is there from about six years old. So often when, there's no other job in the world where you're going to be going in and faced with rejection and validation on probably a minutely, hourly basis. You're having to deal with that inner child every day that you've got to bring into work. So it's, can I conquer that within that time frame? And often 18 months might be the point where you think, actually, you know what, this isn't for me. And you, rather than go back and look at yourself, you start blaming the job, the data, the product, whatever it may be. And you just go and have the same 18 months in another job and then repeat that and repeat that again. So you have these people that have got, you know, long careers in sales, but they've probably got that same 18 month window that they're just repeated over and over again. The other side of the coin is the management side. So there's, there's two problems there. There's one of you're promoting the shit hot salesperson into management role. It's two totally separate skill sets. And there's also no real roadmap of management. You can't really go to uni or there's not really many. I know there's a few courses that pop out, but there's not really a benchmark for management. You know, here's the standard for management, like there'd be a standard for how to get an athlete into the Olympics or mm. how to become a really good uh, therapist, for example. Like these are, th- these are the same types of skill set, that drive, that relentlessness, that ability to relate to people but there's not really a benchmark to actually record that. So you've got this kind of juxtaposition between the individual salesperson probably not reflecting on themselves and the manager probably being slightly clueless as to how to get them over those hurdles. The the, the management bit has always confused me. Uh, Jack, maybe you could jump in here, but like when I look at the, all the companies that offer training or coaching, they're all geared towards salespeople. There seems to be very few geared towards management. And my, my dad has a, has a leadership podcast and I've heard him pose this question to a number of leaders and managers before, you know, why don't you think that there's no training for management? And there's really been no solid answer, but surely like you don't just be promoted to management and then you, 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 you become the Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo of, of managers, even though they get consistent training themselves as well. So why is it that you think that once someone gets promoted to management, the, the, the training almost disappears? It's, it's a good question. I think it's so hard. I feel like if you're going to be a manager, I think Zach touched on it for, for himself and sales. I feel like it applies to anywhere, but the amount of self-work I think you have to do, because what, what is a manager? Well, what is it? A manager is a term, but what are you? You're a, a leader, you're a therapist, you're all these different things. It's like, what part of being a manager do you want to learn about? Do you want to learn how to time manage, how to motivate, how to, you know, influence, how to hire? There's so many things and there's probably so many courses for each of them individually, but it's such a grand kind of section. It's like, maybe it's just, it's easy with, with sales training, right? Let's talk about objections with management. Where do we start? What, what makes a good manager? And like everyone's opinion of that might be completely different. If you're a good salesperson, you close deals, you bring in revenue. What is a good manager? Someone that, that gets their team to perform. Yeah, maybe, but you could be a sh- I've seen shit managers and great performing teams. So it's, it's a hard one. I think going, going back to your original question to Zach as well, when we speak to a lot of managers, they say, I like what you do because you're on the phone. Right, okay, why aren't your team on the phone? They don't want to. 
They don't want to be. You're the manager. Well, what example are you are you are you setting? What are you leading? I hear so much about call reluctance. Now I know that this is the job that we've hired our our team in, and we've got a growing team now. Call reluctance has never been, there's been many issues. Call reluctance has never been one. There's never been that option. But when you start putting options on the table and say, well, you maybe you'd be the person that's good at emails. Well, maybe not. Maybe you should just. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I, I certainly do. On the management thing before, because I have a, have, a, have, a, have, a, have a question I wanted to hear from the two of you in a second, but I heard, I heard a great one from Tom Castley. I don't know if you know him, uh, VP at uh, Outreach uh, for EMEA. He said that role of managers is one, uh, help, their, help their salespeople hit quota, but two, to retain the salespeople, retain the top talent in the company. And then, in fact, President's Club in companies is put in the middle of the year for a reason and it's used as a retention mechanism rather than a celebratory mechanism mm. because it keeps the good reps in the company for longer because they'll want to go on this holiday that typically they're not going to be able to afford and whatnot so i thought that was brilliant when i heard it the other day that president's club itself was actually a retention mechanism rather than a whatever whatever else you wanted a, a celebratory mechanism LinkedIn. LinkedIn has to be a big tool for you guys because you put some time and effort into it and both your posts are brilliant. Where do you come up with, like, because I was scrolling through your LinkedIn last night, Jack, and I was looking at your posts and I must have scrolled for about 10 minutes and I was like, <laughs> this dude is, 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 is genius with his posts. And I looked at the last post after 10 minutes and it said a week ago and I was, holy shit, this dude must be posted three or four times a day. And then I went on the Zach's page and I was like, surely it's Jack's the gifted one of the company. No, Zach as well. Again, with the post. So where did they come from? Like, because they're not, they're, they're more frequent than like, I'm just going to go to the toilet and write a post while I'm on the toilet. I think oh, I would Jack. say that what the one thing that probably combines me and Zach and our friendship group, if you look at all of us, the five, six of us, you put us all together, we've all got pretty much the exact same sense of humor. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I say I'm funnier than you, but yeah. Well, <laughs> see what LinkedIn says. Oh, <laughs> no, but, but I think I, I think we had a conversation when I came into the business. I said to Zach, if we're going to do this LinkedIn thing, so many people don't want to do LinkedIn because they're like, oh, well, what are people going to think of me? It, I don't post on Instagram, hardly ever, because I don't give a shit. And if, if I get 100 likes and people think, oh, he's at the seaside, sick. What's the? I actually see a return of, of investment there with LinkedIn. Yeah. I can post something. I don't need to say, would anybody like to use our service? The value I'm giving is offering and people go, oh, I like the way he works. Maybe I'll have a conversation with him. And then it's, it's generated so much business from it. So it's actually seeing a return of investment. So I feel like it's such a free worthy tool that what you put in, you get out. Yeah. And, I, and I think we just, we, we're, we're constantly thinking, oh yeah, I could write that. But, but there are some days where I forget to write a post and I'll just write it in three minutes. And sometimes they're the best performing ones. Let me change the question a little bit for you, Zach. You've got a podcast as well. Um, wh wh why did you start that? And have, what were you surprised by now that you're over 20 episodes in that you didn't think you'd see from when you started it? It's a good question. Why I started it was I wanted to sort of document this journey in a few different ways. LinkedIn is obviously a good route for that. But the other way is speaking to people who are on similar journeys, which is kind of where you start with a podcast, talking to people at your kind of level, and then setting yourself a benchmark of, like when Jack joined, I said, do you reckon we could get Benjamin Dennehy on the podcast? We did. And then it was, do you reckon we could get Brandon Voss on the podcast? And we did. 
there's a few others in the future that we're going to get involved. It was kind of like set ourselves a little challenge from a standpoint of can two lads from Blackpool get all these people on our podcast. But it proves um, it works as kind of another vehicle to be able to tell stories and share sales tips without being salesy, yeah. without saying we're the experts. So we can talk about the mistakes, talk about the things that have worked, that haven't worked. And we start to have this audience now of people who message us and say, really like this bit that you talked about. We never tried that before. We just tried it today. And here's the result we got. And that, to me, is quite nice real-time feedback that makes me think I should probably keep doing this. Um, and what we found since we've started off, I'd say people from all different backgrounds within sales and business and marketing often draw the same conclusion. So you might think you're so different than other people in the space. You know, I'm selling tech, you're selling to construction, whatever it may be. But there are kind of universal truths that split across the board of how people like to be dealt with, things that work, things that mm. don't, principles of psychology that apply no matter what sector you're in. And it was quite interesting to see that when you speak to people from all, all over the place, that often the same conclusions are drawn. And you've probably found that yourself from this podcast. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, there's 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 a three or four other advantages of the podcast as well. But from a communication point of view, I just found that I, I, I've gotten a lot better at... at uh, picking up good questions to ask people throughout the 180 something episodes. And then there's the benefit of having your name out there. It's a wild one for the first 50 episodes. People thought I was some sort of genius with the messages I was getting on the podcast. And I had to keep saying to myself, like the clips I put up on LinkedIn, I'm only asking a question. I'm not the one delivering the value. So I don't know why you think I'm the genius. Cause I just posed the question. Um, call recording technology. The likes of Gong.io, Refract, good thing or bad thing, Jack? It's interesting. I, I, I wasn't too aware of it until recently, and I, I went into a conversation, and I said, can I address the elephant in the room? And they said, yeah. And I said, "What's who's that there? That It says robot or something like that. I said, oh, that's uh, recording what we do, and it will give me a kind of the dialogue at the end, and it will tell me how much percentage i've been speaking how much they've been speaking it feels like it's like telling you all the things it's like your mum looming over you when you should be thanking somebody after going to their house and having dinner whereas i feel like well these are the natural things like you should know if you're working in sales to ask the right questions and not not be speaking all the time you should know to take a, a pen and paper and to be writing notes and you shouldn't be relying on a bot to record everything so you can listen back to it. I get the I get the pros. I get the pros completely, but it is it is moving into that AI weird technology led world. Whereas there's something so basic, and I think this is kind of maybe we in ten years time we'll be out out of touch and we'll be the old boys that brag about oh we used to use the phone it was so cool. But it's it's one of those now. It's like people are just like relying too much on the technology of it. Why would I need if, if you're self-aware enough, why would you need a robot at the end to say you spoke too much? I know. I could work it out. Definitely from the percentage of speaking too much because there's been often times where I've watched, listened, looked at statistics as a call and it would be the opposite of what the guru say it should be, but the call was a fantastic call and they ended up winning the close of the sale. The part that I like about the call recording technology is the ability for your manager to come in and not just take your word for granted, but to look at the, the data of, did you 
do an upfront contract? When they pose that question, how did you deal with it? So from a coaching perspective, it mm. gives the manager the true data of being able to coach the person on areas that like they could be really good at like the whole call. And then at the end, they're screwing up somewhere and it gives the manager the ability to go in there and look and be like, all right, we need to work on this specific part of the call because the rest of it you're good at, but you're really shit at this. Yeah. Be that. I, I agree. And I, I probably took it more so if it was, um, in like a discovery setting, like a Zoom call or something like that. In terms of actually cold calling, all of our calls are recorded. We do call listening every morning. And it's a real case of like, it, it makes you think like when you said earlier in about training, well, you wouldn't go and get sales training once. It should be something constantly. Call coaching is so important because there's something that you might just miss. Like not if you're not going to experience everything in one day. So if you're constantly doing it, you're just going to get better and better. And it's a refresher. So yeah, no, I, I do agree with cool recording in, in that sense. I'm, I'm just back from the States, Zach, and, and, and I'm curious if, if you've noticed this as well, but whenever I'm chatting to English or Irish people, there's a different sense of humour and you have the ability to take the piss out of each other with zero offence. Attempt that in the States and, and people will, will think that you're annoyed at them. Why do you think the English and Irish can turn around and, and say expletive words to one another and it, it it understand by the tonality what the person actually means. I think because we live in cold, wet, miserable countries <laughs> where we're sat around in the pub, we've not much to do. It doesn't take long before you start thinking after a pint or two, you look like a bit of a twat today, don't you? And that starts going. I think it's generational time of doing that, jeering at each other in an affectionate way. And then nice countries that don't have that culture, like, you know, a lot of places in the States are, constantly sunny no seasons you wouldn't need to have that and taking the piss out of each other might ruin the uh, the ambience but yeah i i i know exactly what you mean. we've got we've got clients where we ring into america you have to change the tone slightly yeah and the approach is the same but the way you say it is slightly different um i've done some traveling around america i know jack has as well a lot of the jokes just fall on deaf ears and you get this look of you know what i mean Oh my God. I said to a bloke when I was there, I was wearing a stripey t-shirt and he said, Hey, it's where's Waldo. I said, do you know what happened the last time someone said that to me? And he said, what? And he said, I said, I ate him. And he looked at me like I really ate someone for saying that. <laughs> Just complete jaw dropped shock. Um, but yeah, I think you find that anywhere that's got a nice climate, they have nice smiley personalities anywhere that's uh like where we live, you have to take the piss out of each other or you go mad. Just to not get depressed and survive. That's very good. Not to stay grim, but either of you, can you talk about, because you're consistently honing your craft and you're, and you're all about up-leveling and, 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 and growing the business. Can you talk about a deal that you lost? doesn't have to be a recent deal, a deal that you lost, but the key lesson that you learned from losing that deal. Mm. Or, or <laughs> that, that's twenty, isn't it? When two blokes go, <laughs> the last deal we lost can't think. I'm, I'm really trying to think of it. We uh, we really try not to be super attached. So actually, our process is. It sounds weird, this, but I mean, is it doesn't sound weird to you because it is a Sandler method. But we're sort of actively trying to disqualify. So I we're almost hitting every call, thinking that it's not going to happen. I can go back in my career though and give you one example that taught me a really good mm. lesson. So I got told earlier in my career that my main skill was that I was a relationship builder. I think that's 
not what I am at all. Jack is probably more <laughs> of a relationship builder. But Jack out of the Zubas is a lot nicer than me. Um, but what I did was I went to this meeting and this guy was also a musician. We spent all this time talking about music. I also had another competitor of ours coming in later on that day to see him. So he's like, look, Zach, I really like you. Thanks for talking about this. You know, we like the same music. He was going to listen to my, 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 my project. And I probably didn't spend the time with him actually doing the proper stuff. I thought the relationship was enough and called him back. And lo and behold, the competitor had come in cheaper. He thought it was a better product. They qualified him better and he went with them. But it hurt my feelings because I thought, well, I spent all that time getting to know you and I thought you liked me. And after that, I totally switched up my approach. So from not from a monetary standpoint, from a changing the skill set, that was a real pivotal moment for me. Definitely the sign of a good salesperson. Jack, there's this tool that I use in, uh, in, in business all the time. It's, it's essentially where you just draw a line down a piece of paper and write K-A-R-E. I don't know if you know what it stands for, but it's keep, attain, recapture, and expand. And we look at accounts every quarter. Accounts you want to keep, attain, recapture, and expand. When you look at the attain uh, part of that uh, quadrant, I, I'm interested to know how do you guys go about attaining net new logos? So I don't know if you've got a, a CRM where you have a list of, of clients that you would like to attain over the next quarter, but surely it has to be a mixture of LinkedIn, calling, networking. Give me an overview of what the business looks like. We're quite lucky at the moment. We're, we're very full. As a, as a small business and there's a lot of people that are in the pipeline that are wanting to kind of come forward and, and use the the resources would you echo that, that sentiment yeah we've got a waiting list of people that probably takes us to about august at a minute i would say that probably within the next that, that there will be put when, we, when we're at a point where the growth is big and uh, maybe by the end of year two if we're looking close to like 50 to 100 SDRs by the end of year one we're hoping to be as a team between the two of us like around about 15 probably maybe 15 to 20 by by year end of year two I'd like to triple that quadruple that and I would then say there's probably going to be something in it where we're like right okay let's go and find the big big clients where they're going to need six or 10 people on this full time and they'll outsource it. And then that would be a case, a case of, right, let's really put the hunt on and get the harpoons out and we'll really, we'll go hunting then. But at the moment we're quite lucky, like we can put the gas, we can put the foot down on the gas and we can, because I've been using all of this kind of LinkedIn stuff, it's like I've been fishing, but just collecting them. And it's like, I've not gone into the pond. So all of a sudden people have been seeing me for a while. I've gone people that I'm connected with. I'll just pick up the phone and ring them and say, we've been collected for a while. You're probably going to tell me that you're not interested in outbound prospecting and you can deal with any more business. Oh yeah. I, I remember you. I like your stuff. Yeah. Let's have a meeting. Amazing. So we're, we're all right at the moment, but I think it's, as it grows, obviously we're not selling a software. We're not selling a product. We are selling skills, motivation, the, the, the kind of the leverage is human. So we've got to just grow and then it'll probably be a case of right. Okay let's really put the foot down and, and bring in some of the household names. Certainly a tough business to sell service businesses because mm. it requires more people to build. But you, you mentioned you'd like to be at 15 people. Well, and the, and the second year you said uh, that obviously requires hiring people. So mm -hmm. when it comes to hiring, are you both involved in that process? Yeah, we are. We've got a team of seven currently. We just hired another lad last night. Should be hopefully 
hiring uh, our first girl at the end of the week, which is very exciting. We don't want to just have loads of fellas in the office. Um, you know what they can be like. Um, but yeah, we're what both involved. Like so we, we... What does the, that look the, like about the, 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 the hiring process so that you can potentially reduce the, the possibility of making a, 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 a bad hire because they're, they're expensive? Yeah, yeah. So there's a few kind of tick boxes for us. One is they have to be comfortable actually doing the job, even if they've never done it before. So we try and set some sort of brief. Can they cold call me or Jack yep. just off the cuff? So we want to hear that they can actually do that. Um, and then the, a lot of the other stuff is, is motivation. So I think often in sales, we don't go deep enough into motivation. So typical sales answer would be, I'm money motivated. And it's just kind of ticking the box. We move on. But me and Jack always go into why. And then, you know, they say, well, I want to get the house. Okay, when you've got the house, then what? How, you know, how do I get you out of bed when you've got the house? Because you might end up getting the house after six months, a year. You know, I want to get the car. I want to be able to go out with my mates all the time. It's like when you've got past those things, we're trying to get to like the intrinsic motivation. The bigger why, I guess. The bigger why. And then obviously as a growing business, we're also interested in people who want to kind of ride that wave with us and not just come in and kick a few doors down for a year and then move on to the next thing. It's where do you see yourself going? Do you want to run a team? Do you want to look after a sector? Do you want to change into like a more of a marketing role at some point? So we're always trying to find out that kind of long-term plan, current motivation, and then those kind of little goals that they're looking to, to tick off as well, along with the practical, can you physically do the job? Mm. Well, I think to add on to that, probably fresh canvases, obviously there's no like discrimination, but people that haven't necessarily worked in sales or if they do they're they're open to learning because the the thing is if you get somebody that's got 10 20 years sales experience how easy are you to adapt up as you probably know Rian, the the methodology we attach is we're not calling people up and saying hi i'm your best friend how have you been can i uh can i send you some flowers and maybe we could meet the the md would that work surely it's it's not that approach <laughs> so it's like people that are used to that it's it's more fresh canvases I think one of the biggest things when we first hired, we hired one lad and it was a case of, right, it's just going to be me and you in this office to start with. And we hired another one after. So we ended up as a team of three. Don't be a dick. Like there's no room for egos. It's like, are you someone that can work? Can you come in? Can you be sound? Can you have a laugh? You've got to work. I think in the early days, you're spending so much time with these people. I already, I've only been working with the, the lad so far for two months, but that, without sounding all soppy and cheesy, it's got to be that kind of family unit that I actually do care about these people and I want to see them grow as people. That's, if I'm just going, I just need them to make some calls and go home and make me some money. Well, then what am I doing? Mm. No, you're, you're, you're bang on. And I have, two, I have two final questions for you, one each, and then I'll, there's two names I want to mention that off air to you. But you you couldn't have said that better, Jack. I, uh, I remember when I when I finished uni, I was I had lined up a couple of interviews for sales roles in, Oracle, SAP, HubSpot, all the tech companies in Dublin. And going into my first one, I said to my dad, he said, my dad says, you look nervous. And I said, yeah, I've, I've got no experience and I've never been trained in sales. And he says, that's a positive thing because mm. they don't need to break you down and rebuild you. You're starting from scratch. One million percent. I love. Zach, if at the end of your life, there's a book written about you, what's the title of the book? <laughs> Face full of scars. And what would you give the title of the book if you were if you were writing a book about Jack? I mean, Zach, Jack. Uh, the twat that I love. <laughs> <laughs> um, final question for you, Jack, is 
if you were the Minister for Education in the UK and you had to add a mandatory subject for the secondary school curriculum, what would the subject be and why? That's the musical. Everyone should have to watch that awful piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I, I think um, how to deal with humans. Like we, all, we always talk about what's your IQ, what's your IQ, what's your EQ? How self-aware, how emotionally intelligent are you? Can you pick up if someone's sad? Can you pick up if somebody's frustrated or disappointed? If you start to learn about emotional intelligence, I mean, that's something that we use in sales amazingly, but why not use it more in person? You know, there was something interesting you said there because I was uh, talking to, a, I was listening to a conversation and I was talking to a leader at the end of the conversation and he was, he'd been brought into this big tech company to kind of change things because the previous CRO wasn't great. And he had said that, he wanted to hire all the new talent from the top Ivy League universities. And I left and I was driving home and I was like, I think he might have, he's the CRO, I was like, I think he might have got that wrong. A lot of the top salespeople that I see are like C plus students in secondary school that don't go on to the universities that end up in sales by mistake, but they're just really good people skills. Mm. You've got to have that bit of, you've got to have something about you, a bit of grit. You look around our office. They're all mental. I absolutely love them, but they've all got something about them. But they're clever as well. But that you've got to have what what is sales? Well, you've got to be. I'm not going to say you have to be likable because that's not true. But it's it's one of those. You've just got to learn how to deal with people. Yeah, it, lads, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. I'll leave links below to your company website, both your LinkedIn pages for people to check out and follow. If there's anything else, let me know. I'll put it in. But for now, thanks for being my guest. And- I wish you continued success going forward. Thank you very Thanks much. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. If your metro don't trust you, I'm going to show you. Beautiful morning. Get the sun in my morning, babe.